You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, Coming Up for Air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Good. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. We're back at Coming Up for Air. Today's topic is keeping family secrets. And why do we keep them? So yeah, I'll let you. Great question. Yeah, and I'll let you get started. Yeah, I, I just had this conversation a, a little bit recently, and I've heard it a lot in meetings. And in, we're all familiar with the phrase, you're only as sick as your secrets. I remember hearing that as a teenager. I can't remember in what setting, but as soon as you think about that, you are as sick as your secrets. You think about what secrets you might be keeping, and that's where your sickness is. And I want to preface all of that by first saying, that doesn't mean you need to go confess your business to the world or put your business in the hands of somebody that's not safe or trustworthy. It just means if you are bearing the brunt of toxic secrets or deception, especially alone or as a family unit, you are going to become sick with it. Right. Right. And so let's start off with with why. Right. Why do people or why do families because it does it it usually is a group, right? And, yep. and some kind of a structure that's built within that group that everybody kind of without even talking about it, everybody knows we've got to keep this secret. How do you think that is? Why do you think families do hold it all in? There's a French term called folia du. I don't know if you've heard that before or not, but it means the madness of many. I think we all just kind of start to operate in patterns that are set. I have got an opinion. My opinion is a child's greatest influencers are the emotional abilities of their parents. That's what influences your life more than anything. And those unsaid ways you cope or don't cope. I think there are several reasons. One thing in particular, if you think about it related to addiction or even betrayal, if you've been had somebody be unfaithful to you or stab you in the back, it's always been perplexing to me that the person who is wronged or the person who is affected by someone addicted is more secretive and shamed about it than the person I think sometimes kind of cavalierly in the behavior. Yeah, because, you know, in my son's recovery, he's gotten a little further away from talking about it as much as the years go on. It's not, you know, recovery, he's, his life is surrounded with recovery, but it's not his, you know, when you're first walking it out, it's all you ever talk about. So he had no problem saying, you know, he would call himself an addict. It was his family members, his parents, his girlfriend, his whoever, that seemed like they never wanted to talk about it or for that secret to get out. Right. Don't you think that's kind of interesting? It's the one that's doing those behaviors has less fear, shame, and secrecy than the ones affected. Why right. is that? Right. And well, you know, I have, I have these thoughts on that too. And I, and I am in total agreement with you. And I think that there's a lot of things that drive that, right? I think absolutely when we're young, when we're children, the people that we learn our emotional stability and, and we take 
cues from our the adults in our lives, so typically our parents, you know, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, and they will kind of teach us without any direct interaction, right? Um, right that we need to be quiet about this. We need to not speak about this. And I think that families do this. Well, one, I think kids think, I know I felt this way because I did not have the greatest upbringing. Um, I had a very sick birth mother who was really a mess. And then my parents got divorced. And then there was a lot of strife in the family unit when I had a stepmother. But I think that we learn it from our adult family members. And then we think as children that it's normal. I thought that way. You do think it's normal. I I did. I thought every family does this. This is how it is, right? You think it's normal. You feel deep down inside, you can sense toxicity and negativity, but you you do think think it's normal. Right. This is life. This is how it is. And I remember, and I, I think I've shared this with you, you know, I remember I got a beating one time and it was really bad. It was so bad that I fell apart when I got to school. Yeah. I remember coming home and social services were at the house and the police were at the house. Wow. Because the school had put me in the nurse's office and they called social services. And I remember coming in and seeing the police and just being like, I don't know why they're here. Right. It, you just, is, your mind yeah, didn't even relate it. Right. right. It was like, yourself. no, every, it, you know, I'm, I did something wrong and I deserved what I got was yeah. because isn't this how every household is? I'm but bad. I, I was right? bad. Right? I was bad and I deserved it. I shouldn't have done that or yeah. whatever. But I also think that it, it all comes back to stigma. It all comes back to the family doesn't want the outside world to see their dysfunction. The family doesn't want other people to see what's going on, right? Yes. And, so, and because it's, it's that stigma, we've got to keep this a secret so nobody else knows. So we've got to put on face like we've got to be strong. We've got to put on a face like everything's just wonderful, and kind of like it, it's like a protection mechanism that the that is unsaid amongst the family. Yeah, members. it is unsaid. unsaid, right? But you don't, you just don't talk about it, and you don't tell, right? Right. And the thing is, is that in what I have found, struggling with substance use disorder and having someone in the family, the more I open up the conversation with people outside of my family, the more I find that actually there are so many other families that are dealing with this. In fact, I have a feeling that every family in this country is affected by substance use disorder in one form or another, right? right? Whether it's an aunt, an uncle, a kid, a father, a mother, a grandfather, you know, a, a cousin, whatever it is, I think that everybody is touched by this and everybody is really quiet about it. I agree. They, you go silent and you isolate and there is still that blame and shame and all of that that mm-hmm. goes into it. I can tell by, you know, things I will post or share, I will get tons of messages from people, but I don't get a lot of public acknowledgement, which is fine. I don't care. I understand that. And that's not why you do it anyway. Right. But I do notice that because it tells me that. And I will notice that on my author page, I'll get a lot more engagement because I think people that are just open about it tend to be drawn there. But on my personal stuff, 
when I share the author stuff or the recovery work there, I don't get hardly any acknowledgement, but people will flood me with messages. My sister, my husband, my brother, Mm -hmm. you know, but they don't want to you know, they don't want to associate themselves with my line of work doing that. Yeah, they just yeah. haven't dealt with themselves yet. And I'm not saying you need to go wave right. that flag to the world. Not everybody's ready. Not everybody right. wants to. That's fine. I respect right. that. I completely respect that. But I'm saying you can just tell who is still hushed about it. Right. And it's so, I agree with you. You can't force people to to kind of get over that stigma or to kind of, you know, it, it, it really is that personal journey that the person is on that has to find their space and their time yeah. of when they're ready mm. to, you know, to be open about it. And I also think there's another side of it too, especially with substance use disorder, is I hear this a lot that people don't want to tell their loved one's story, that they feel it's their story to tell and not... And not the family story to tell. Yeah, and I also think they might feel a little bit more at fault. Parents going to feel more to blame for a child's addiction right. than the child's going to be blamed. You know right. what I mean? Or I, I don't know why there's this backwards thinking. Say a husband is unfaithful to a wife. Right. That wife is not at fault. She's not the cause. Right. That husband needed validation and was right. deceptive and all of those things. But the wife will keep it a secret because she thinks she I'm feels, not attractive. Right. I'm at fault. What did I do wrong? And people, right. you know, when people are malicious and hateful on someone, they'll, no wonder your husband did this or that. No wonder your wife, you know, people feed that deceptive, wrongful blaming. I, right. I just think it's, it's a systematic human error way of thinking. Right. And, and it's almost like re-victimizing yourself. Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, so you got cheated Like you on, saying you were bad. Like, well, what did I do? It's all yes. my, what, right. What did I do? I have to change this about me so he won't do that. But right. as we've, as we've talked, I mean, we've talked about um, substance use disorder and it's the same thing. Nothing you do forces anybody else into a particular action. It's not because you were doing that. Exactly. Maybe you need improvement in a particular area. That may, that may be the case, you know, and maybe you can work on that and that's great, but you don't force, I, I agree with you. I think if, if someone is going to cheat, they're going to cheat. They're going to find reasons anyway, and they're going to go and cheat. And it's because there's something that they need to work on, yes. not you. And if, if you have something that they're not happy with, and it's um, driving them away from you, then they need to say to you... They're dishonest about Right. That. They need mm-hmm. to be open with you and say to you, okay, I'm struggling with this issue and I, you know, I, I've got to f- set some boundaries or I've got to yeah. figure out how we can work through this. But going off and cheating... That's the individual's problem, not the spouse. It just shows how deep and dysfunctional blame shifting is. It goes right. really deep. It's, it's really infection. It right. goes really, really deep. I have standards in place that no matter what happens, those standards aren't going to change when it comes to my decisions. No matter what somebody else does or how they um, appear to me or affect me, I'm not going to screw somebody over. And no right. matter, I mean, you couldn't get me no matter how desperate to rob a bank. You couldn't get me to, I'm defensive. You're not going to get me on the offense where I'm going to go just strike out and be, lash out at people for no reason because I just don't like, those standards are in place and it's my fault what decisions I make because somebody else affects me. 
Right. So I don't and think I a lot also, of people have done the work, right. you know, to, I, to become whole that way. Right. I agree. And I also think that, you know, a lot of people do do that work on themselves, right? They do yeah. do reflection, but we also have moments of weakness, right? right? Then, yeah. then we make mistakes and we kind of get stuck in the chaos again. We almost have to, does that make sense? We make like yeah. these instantaneous decisions and then we go oh my god right why did I do that I know I know I'm back better. in this right I'm back in again it, and I gotta right. back myself up and I gotta yeah. you know pull myself back out of it let me interrupt the show for just a moment I'd like to remind listeners there's a wealth of information about topics related to substance use disorder on alliesandrecovery.net Allies in Recovery is a private members-only site that connects families dealing with substance use. It also teaches strategies for both helping your loved one and self-care. That's alliesinrecovery.net. Now back to the topic. You know, all of that relates to why we keep secrets. I think we, um, fear and embarrassment. I think denial. I yeah. think being afraid of being rejected and shunned. I think when somebody is not ready to face, feel, and deal and um, I personally, you know, my mom suffers from addiction from after a car accident. You know, she's a little church lady and could quote the Bible, can beat you at Jeopardy. She knows French. She is very dignified. She doesn't raise her voice, but she is heavily addicted to Percocets, opiates, all of that. And I was entrenched in the family secrets because I didn't know how to talk about it or who to talk about it to. Mm-hmm. And I was so paralyzed. I didn't even know how to identify it. It wasn't until I hit my 30s and became, by chance, friends with really three, but it was two primary therapists just happened into my life socially and began identifying things where, you know, I could call one of my friends and it was just a bad day with my mom. But when I would relate, when they would see it, because I was real private about it, because it was just such madness. I didn't want anybody to know what drama I dealt with. When they would see it happen or see the repetitive phone calls and frustration and her interference with my son, they would identify it and, you know, with a diagnosis. So I wasn't really keeping the secret to protect anything. I was so paralyzed by it. I was just it was our normal, even though I was drowning in it. Right. And I also think, I mean, that all makes sense to me. I also think that a lot of the time, young people in in these uh, dysfunctional situations, they really actually don't have anybody to talk to. They really don't. I I just think of all the things that when, when a family secret gets let out, it can actually destroy the family too if it isn't handled properly, right? Yeah. That kids get taken away and they get put in a foster home or, you know. A divorce uh, might occur if something's right, too painful. Right, and right exactly. So, a feud could erupt, which it would just expose. There has to be chaos to bring order sometimes. Right. Infection has to be exposed in order to, for it to heal. Right. So I think people do fear that. Um, I don't know if you've heard the phrase that in dysfunctional families you learn don't talk don't trust, don't deal, don't feel. Those are the unspoken yep. rules. Yep. We don't talk about what's going on. We don't trust. We don't, we don't have an ability to trust anyone or ourselves. We don't deal and we don't feel. Right. Those are the dynamics. And, and I can tell you right now, I know in my family, we're really good at being secret keepers. We're told that flat out. We're told that don't cry you know, I don't know why you don't just ignore it. Yes. You know, why don't you, I don't know why you talk about it all the time, you know, all the, and I get, I get shunned or I get pushed away 
because I'm not following the the unspoken rule that I need to keep this secret for everybody. And I have to tell you, I think my my journey was a little bit different than yours because I think you happened to meet some people. Uh, although I I do feel I met my husband, who is a um, an incredible positive force in my life, right. and he helped me out with a lot of these issues. But I had the opportunity to move away. Yes, yes. A, a very far distance right. for a long, extended period of time. And I was able to kind of do some healing outside of that situation. Yeah. And now I'm back closer to my extended family. It's funny how now I am really good at setting boundaries. And, and you're I, a lot and I'm stronger. Like, no, nope, I'm sorry. Right. I'm, not, I'm not going into this. Yes. Uh, dysfunction again. And if you don't like it, well, okay, I can stay out of your life. It's, it's simple. You know, it's right. A simple I got to take care of me just because right. we shared DNA doesn't mean you get to tell me I'm wrong when I, my feelings matter and what I'm sensing matters. And I'm going to be true to what I sense, right? You know, whether I'm sensing you're hurting my feelings, this is not right. Whatever I'm sensing, I have to trust my intuition because when I don't, that's when I get into madness and dysfunction. Right. And I was going to say also, you know, what you're talking about, why do you talk about this so much? When you're emotionally honest in the midst of a dysfunctional system, the invalidation starts early. I I remember, and I know this happens in every family, but I remember running to tell, you know, that one of my brothers had pushed me down or ripped something out of my hands or was just pretending to spit on me, you know, just kid stuff. And when you go to tell, they don't deal with, they deal with the, they don't deal with the fire starter. They deal with the fire, the the, the one being burnt. Yeah. So they say, you're just, you're being too sensitive. Learn to toughen up. You're ignore. Wasn't it, it was nobody defending or teaching me how to cope or teaching me how to fight back or it was right. just making me wrong for their wrong behavior right. and that is early onset invalidation that will lead you into so much dysfunction and abuse right which i think that that's exactly what happened to me as well a uh, total invalidation yes you know i and i also think that you know them saying to me my you know my family saying things to me like why do you talk about it so much one says don't talk about it stop talking about it and two, they don't understand the confusion and chaos that's going on in my mind of, I don't understand this. Like, why are we doing this? Like, why, yes. why are you, I didn't even understand. Why are you mad at me because I'm bringing this topic up? They would get angry, right? you know, and it's like, I, I don't understand. It just is what it is. I'm not trying to piss somebody off. I'm, I'm just, I'm just calling the truth, the truth. And in my head, I'm trying to figure it out. And I tend to be a verbal person. So right. this is how I try and I'll talk and try and figure things out. And, and basically what they were saying to me is no, 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 no. We don't talk about those things and, and you're bad because you're talking about it. And And it teaches you, I can't come to you. I can't trust you. I can't trust authority. I'm going to surround myself with people that won't defend me, that won't be loyal to me, that won't validate me. It sets you up for decades as an adult of dysfunctional patterns in relationship. And I can tell you something happened to me when I was was a little bit older uh, with an aunt. And I was living with the aunt at the time. I was older. I want to say I was like 18 at the time. And we had a family friend. He was also much older. He was closer to my aunt's age. Let's say he was maybe 40 
at the time. Right. He was married, a second marriage. He had two children and he would come and visit with my aunt and I happened to be there. So the three of us would just kind of sit and talk. One day had invited me to the movies and I thought nothing of it because he had been such a longtime family friend, not just to my aunt, but to the rest of the family. And so I went and he made sexual advances. Oh, ew. And, yeah. And I went home to my aunt and I told her and she said to me, oh, no, no, no. You're you wrong. Oh, no. Mistaken. Yeah. And from so that sick. moment on, from that moment on, even now in my head, I know I can't tell her. I can't. Yeah. I can't she's not safe. She's right. Not safe. She's not safe because she, her response to me is either going to be, I'm wrong. Yeah. Or Making you the problem. It's my, right. What did I do? And I think of it even now, yeah. you know, as an it's adult. Sick. And I love her dearly. I, I, you know, I love her so much. But it, no, that's a perfect but. example. I don't know if they're unconscious or it's fear or what it is that they don't want to address a situation and it's going to open them up to problems. I don't know what the motive is and it's maybe different case by case, but it's so sick when you invalidate like that. Right. Well, and I also think, I think there were a whole bunch of other dynamics going on there because- for me, it was difficult to tell her because he was such a longtime family yeah. friend. And so I might be interrupting this relationship that he has with my family. And then on my aunt's side of it, I think that played a key part in why she said what she said. She doesn't want to have to end this relationship with this man. She doesn't want to have to confront him and say, did you make advances at my niece? Do, do you know what I'm saying? And, yes. and for her to have to face that, that's a tough thing. That's a really, really tough thing. And so I, I know that it's totally dysfunctional. Yeah. I still love my aunt a tremendous amount. But boy, oh boy, and a, a perfect example of, ooh, we've got to keep this secret and this lie in the family. And let's just take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by CCSHM, the Community Coalition for a Safe and Healthy Morris, whose mission is to prevent and reduce substance use throughout the lifespan through collaboration, education, and community-wide change. CCSHM partners with CARES, the Center for Addiction Recovery, Education, and Success, to bring prevention and recovery services to communities throughout Morris County and New Jersey. CCSHM and CARES are projects of Morris County Prevention is Key. Go to safehealthymorris.org or caresnj.org or call 973-625-1998. What happens to the family? What kind of damage to the family happens when we do hold these lies in? Well, I, th you, I think it is decades of damage that sets you up for abuse and dysfunction as an adult. I think it just keeps those, that pathology going until there's crisis that exposes it. That's, right. that's my opinion. You know, right. we had di religious dysfunction as well and, and validating in that realm. And, but when it came to my son, I remember what I would have put up with for myself. I could see so clearly if somebody was wronging my son because, you know, you, you, I doubted my worth more than I doubted his. So right. I wanted this son validated. I mean, I over-validated him. If, if a cat was like, scratched him, bad kitty, you know, I'd call it out right, because right. I wanted him to know he was validated, not, well, you shouldn't have done this to the cat. You know what I mean? I, right, I right. over-validated. But right. 
I'm trying to overcompensate for it. Yes, because I was so invalidated that I didn't know what end was up. I didn't know what was right or wrong, who was coming or going. I was at fault for everything. That's all I knew. Because I was the youngest in such a sick setting, I was a scapegoat for everybody. I was like in a pinball game. So once I came out of that, I, no way I was going to let this kid walk in that pathology. Right. I think because it, you turn into me for a couple of decades if you're right. keeping right. sick secret. Right. And that's what, that's what I think happens. I think you end up like with destroyed relationships across yeah. the board with everybody. And I also think that you give kids a sense of a false sense of reality. In a bad way? In a bad way. Yeah. yeah a, a, a false sense of reality and a negative And a negative reality. sense of self. Right. A negative sense of self. You right. know, you hear that expression, healthy families communicate, unhealthy families manipulate. You can right. tell right. how healthy your system is by how comfortable you are communicating. You know, I even right. had a conversation with a family member recently. Our family can be so dysfunctional that we will call my mother and say, will you let my brother know this? And so, you know, when he's in the next room, because people are unable and I had to break that seal. So I will tell them, and it still can be awkward. I will tell, told one of my brothers recently, I feel safe and healthy enough to tell you, I could be wrong about this, but I'm taking what you've done as something hurtful. And my feelings are hurt. That doesn't mean we need to have a war and not speak and then go back to blocking each other. Because that's where it goes. Because everyone's so uncomfortable, it goes from zero to toxic. Right. And, and, and nobody knows how to communicate. You right. can tell your level of the ability and ease to communicate the tough stuff will tell you your amount of functionality. Right. I also think it can, it can bring on like illness, physical illness. Yeah. Right. I think that that's how we end up with things like um, anxiety and depression and and nervousness and, you know, stress and high cortisol levels. And, you know, we start to compensate. Like you said, you, you might've overcompensated with your son. I think there's, you know, uh, people do all sorts of things to kind of relieve that, those feelings, those feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. You know, they'll go and eat or they'll, you know, end up whatever substances or whatever it is. But yeah, I think holding in these secrets can be an incredibly unhealthy thing. Well, think of it this everybody. way. I think infection builds around secrets too. And it, do, it makes mm-hmm. you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically sick in, in, in every way. But think about this. Think about if you stole something out of my purse, and I'm not saying you ever would, but just imagine if you did, or you knew somebody that was betraying me. Just, Mm -hmm. you knew you had a secret or a deception Mm -hmm. you were protecting, right? Think about that. And the next communication you got from me was a text message that said, we need to talk. Yeah. What's your mind go to immediately? It, oh my God. And then say, I call she you. Knows, she knows yes. I stole something. Yeah. Or anybody does. And right. It's that feeling of a police car being behind you. But then I could call you and say, you're not going to believe this. This is what happened in, you know, on a TV show or something totally right. unrelated. But your heart throbs with that infected secret. Right. Immediately. Right. For however long it is before I actually talk to you, I'm yes. stressed out about having to have to talk to you. Yeah. Yes. And it doesn't even have to be that you did something wrong when there's toxic secrets secrets like that, we build, we build walls and hardness and infection around it. And you can't help, but you're not free. You're not going to flow freely. You're not going to operate with peace, kindness, love, trust. You're not going to operate in any kind of healthy manner when you are filled with secrets, because that's what you're filtering every communication through. 
Right. You know, and I heard someone say in a meeting last week that support meetings are really all about grief. And I thought that was interesting because he was saying, you know, when somebody's in AA or NA, they're grieving their addiction, which Mm -hmm. was their companion. That was what they turned to to cope and for strength and energy, whatever. And then the families are in there because they're grieving what's going on. All of them are about managing and dealing with your grief. And when you don't, grief becomes ingrown and we can develop ingrown emotions. And I thought that was so interesting. And another guy said, it's like anything ingrown becomes very painful and infected. And it eventually needs, you know, something to open it up so infection can come out. And it's the exact same thing with those secrets that we bottle up. You don't have to go, you know, bleed all over the world, but you need one or two safe, trustworthy people, whether it's a therapist, a support group, a friend, whoever, that you can let it out to. Right. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm a little more comfortable. I'm not going to maybe share what's going on in the moment of my life, but I'm comfortable sharing with the dysfunction I come from because all of that mess it's who I am. Right. It's what I come from. Right. I can own it. I, I'm not going to be condemned by it or insulted about it, but I want to build from it and recover from it. It's part of who I am. And when you, you hit that threshold of recovering and being at peace with it, you don't have to disparage anybody else or let yourself be insulted, but you become okay with owning your story and operating secret free. Right. I think that, and you may have found the same thing too, because you tend to be verbal. I tend to be verbal. I tend to need to talk about things, right? So I think that I have had to learn how to, because I can be so open and I can be so trusting that I've actually had to learn when to hold back and not let it out. When to, I have to kind of put feelers out there a little bit more to kind of protect myself, if that makes sense, because I have trusted the wrong people. Um, oh, I have I absolutely it. too. Right. The, one of the um, counselors that I had met early on of the of those three would always, and I actually wrote about it, would always tell me, guard your valuables. You're not protecting right. your valuables. And she would tell me a valuable is discretion. Right. When you learn discretion, you won't over apologize or over explain. Right. Just because there's information about you that somebody's asking, it doesn't mean you need to make that information available to right. whoever's asking or whoever you're talking to. So she really taught me a lot about that as well. So there is balance and wisdom. And I think all of that comes with recovering and getting healthy. I agree. Yeah. And it's a learning process. And one thing I love about recovery is that you don't get to beat yourself up. You learn not to beat yourself up. Even if you make a mistake and you tell the wrong person and it comes back to bite you, you know what? You learned another lesson, get up and do the next right thing. It's progress, not perfection. That's right. I love recovery. I want this lifestyle for the rest of my life and I want (laughs) it for everyone that we know. Me too. So until next time, let's keep on coming up for air. Okay. See you later. Bye, Annie. Right, Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. 
In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, dot net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.